Welcome to Copyright Clearance's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, January 12th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So since the last Harry Potter novel appeared, no trade book title has dominated Like Fire and Fury, Michael Wolff's incendiary inside account of the Trump White House. And today, Andrew, we will look at this remarkable publishing story from a variety of angles with you. And let's just get started here in this way. The free publicity for Fire and Fury didn't just come from cable TV. Wolf's biggest promoter was President Trump himself, who tweeted and otherwise commented on the book, dismissing it as a work of fiction. At a cabinet meeting on Wednesday, the president also told reporters that he would like to see a review of the nation's libel laws. Our current libel laws, he said, are a sham and a disgrace and do not represent American values or American fairness. So let's start there, Andrew. What's the industry reaction to Trump's latest attack on publishing freedoms? So I agree. That's a great place to start because we are sure to see more about this in the coming weeks. And the industry is, I think it's fair to say, reacting to this in a couple of ways. Uh, The first is that industry leaders are, of course, dismayed, and they are rightly calling out the danger in President Trump's even suggesting that we have to change our libel laws to shut down his critics. Uh, But at the same time, there really isn't too much concern that this is going to happen. And first, because there really is no desire for this to happen in Congress. And second, it seems like Trump really has no idea what he's talking about here. There's no policy proposal on the table. And indeed, there are no federal libel laws. Libel laws generally are a matter of, of state law. Um, so there's really nothing there for him to revisit. And of course, this is not the first time that Trump has brought up libel laws, which is sort of ironic, observers have pointed out this week, for a man who has made his bones by peddling a, a false story about Barack Obama's birth certificate and who routinely makes uh, defaming charges against crooked Hillary Clinton. The president's comments on the nation's libel laws came after he took the unprecedented step of trying to shut down publication of Fire and Fury. That's right. And that, too, drew a sharp reaction from publishers and from their professional associations, the most compelling of which, I think, came from the Authors Guild. Authors Guild President James Glick noted that, and I'll quote him here, this isn't a country where we quash books that the leader finds unpleasant. Uh, He said, that's what tyrants do. That's not American presidents. On the other hand, I found the Association of American Publishers statement to be a little disappointing. You know, speaking for myself and not my esteemed employer here at Publishers Weekly, the statement from AAP. President uh, Maria Palante was basically a statement that said, well, for the most part, even though it can be upsetting, the Supreme Court has said that we get to say these kinds of things. Well, I think what it really needed to say was something more along the lines of James Glick at the Authors Guild, which is the president's wrong, that free speech is an absolute right, as is the freedom to publish, both of which I'll note are core issues for AAP, uh, that freedom of speech is an absolute right, and that the president's suggestion is dangerous, period. All right. So on the publishing side of the book, in Monday's issue of Publishers Weekly, the book will indeed top the bestseller list. But it's been a tough start for the title as it remains hard to get. Tell us about how the publication has been going. Well, let's start off this way with a little anecdote. On Monday, Michael Wolff appeared on The Last Hour with Lawrence O'Donnell for an interview. Uh, At the very end of a rollicking opening interview, about 20 minutes long, O'Donnell closed by asking Wolff a really cringeworthy question. When will people be able to buy this book? 
And Wolf didn't have an answer. He kind of stammered around, said that his own relatives couldn't even get their hands on it, and the publisher was rolling them out. That, I have to say, is a disaster. Uh, Macmillan CEO John Sargent told reporters this week that the publisher had over a million orders, but that the initial print run was 150,000 copies. Though, I should point out that we've not been able to confirm either of those numbers here at PW, and the opening two days of the book scan showed less than 30,000 print sales, which seems like a bit of a low figure for a book with a million orders. To put it mildly, this is not how you draw it up in the boardroom, and I'm sure that's a point that Wolf's agent, Andrew Wiley, has been making to Macmillan executives all week. Uh, So the question is, how does something like that really happen? Is it the publisher's fault? The book clearly struck a nerve and and has taken off like a rocket, but should publishers expect that kind of reaction, or to what degree can they be sort of taken off the hook for this? You know, it's a good question. And, you know, here's the genesis of the problem. Our readers will recall that Fire and Fury was embargoed. And because it was embargoed, it didn't get pre-pub reviews. It wasn't announced. And the result is that libraries and booksellers were largely unaware of it. And because libraries and booksellers were largely unaware of it, the publisher, based on the lack of orders or the lack of holds in the library system, woefully underestimated the demand and quickly ran out of stock. Now, Holt could have estimated that the book would generate this level of demand, but really a million orders? Probably not. But I would point out that this is the whole point of an embargo, to make a big media splash, right? And Macmillan editors would have read the book. They would have known the explosive claims in this book were going to be like catnip to the media. So to devise a strategy based on an embargo, making a big, sudden, dramatic media splash, and then not be prepared to meet that demand... Man, that's a problem. You know, I think Fire and Fury is probably a good title for what Andrew Wiley and, and Michael Wolf are feeling at the moment. Uh, and again, Michael Wolf, meanwhile, is out there dutifully doing his publicity. And that is a window that really is not going to stay open for very much longer, I believe. So you say the uh, publicity window for the book won't remain open for much longer. But why? It sure seems like it's hit a nerve and generated quite the discussion. So why do you think the public might move on so quickly? Well, I agree the book has kicked off quite a conversation, but I'm just not sure that this book is going to be the focal point of that conversation going forward. And for a few reasons. First, because Michael Wolff is, let's just say he's no Bob Woodward. So the more scrutiny the book gets, well, let's just say maybe he's not the ideal messenger for this. Uh, Second, because I feel like the Wolf and the book are already getting overexposed. The more Wolf goes on TV and the more the talk shows dissect it and newspapers report on it, uh, the more people are going to feel like they don't need to read it or worse, have already read it. Uh, And finally, because who knows what is going to grab headlines next week. As PW reported this week, there are already a bunch of new Trump books coming out in the coming weeks, and those authors are going to take Wolf's place in the conversation pretty quickly, I think. Uh, But more importantly, Trump, you may have heard, has a Twitter account, and he's pretty deft at manipulating the national attention span. When Beyond the Book returns, PW's Andrew Albanese has analysis on why the shortage of print copies for Fire and Fury is good news for Amazon and not so much for libraries. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. 
Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC's Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, January 12th, 2018, at the end of a week dominated by a single book title, Fire and Fury, Inside the Trump White House. So, Andrew, you've already described the challenge of Henry Holt and Company having printed too few books and what that's meant for print sales. But what's the impact on ebook sales and specifically for libraries? Sure. So last weekend, my local bookstore had no print copies of Fire and Fury and no real idea when they were going to have them. And when I looked to buy the book on Amazon in the print edition, I was told my copy was going to arrive sometime between January 26th and February 2nd. But the Amazon page implored, don't wait, buy the Kindle edition now. And it appears that a lot of readers have just done that. Now, Amazon, of course, doesn't share its sales figures, but the numbers I've seen from Barnes & Noble showed like a two-to-one ebook-to-printbook ratio. That's understandable, of course, since the print book is out of stock. For libraries, however, the ebook option is a bit more complicated, as we've discussed on this show quite a few times. Under the current library ebook model used by Wolf's publisher, Henry Holt, each license costs a library 60 bucks, and it has to be repurchased after 52 lens or two years. Now, that cost is prohibitive for any library, uh, and that leads to limited ebook copies being purchased and longer wait times. I'm currently on the holds list at the New York Public Library, for example, and my wait time is about three months which is absurd for a book that in three months could very likely be old news. In fact, I'll eat my hat for still talking about this book in April when my ebook arrives from the New York Public Library. So, so what does the experience with Fire and Fury tell you then, Andrew, about how publishers treat the library ebook market? Well, you'll recall a few weeks ago, we spoke about a recent survey of member libraries in the Reader's First Collective, and that survey delivered a really clear message to publishers. Please give us more flexibility when it comes to licensing eBooks. And with Fire and Fury, such flexibility really could have made a difference. Uh, and I write about this in today's issue of the Week in Libraries, a column I do every week for Publishers Weekly. And, and my point is that what if Henry Holt had enabled libraries to utilize a streaming paper read model like Hoopla or Freeding? Or what if Holt had enabled libraries in this case to use all of its 52 lens for a licensed copy simultaneously rather than one user at a time, which of course HarperCollins now does for some of its backlist ebook titles. Even if for a short, limited window, while demand for this book was peaking and there were no books in the bookstores, what would that have meant? For sure, library budgets would still have come into play under that scenario, but that flexibility would at least ensure that a, Holt was capturing every reader and every dollar possible while the book was hot, and it would have helped libraries ensure that they wouldn't be suddenly stuck in July with 500 licenses of a $60 book that no one's checking out anymore. So what this tells me, the experience with Fire and Fury, is that with a little flexibility, libraries could have helped Macmillan mitigate some of the damage done by having the book go immediately out of stock, and just as the author is burning through his potential 15 minutes of fame here. Now, I understand that in some sense, Holtz and publishers in general may not want libraries to work too well. After all, they want users to buy the book, not borrow it. But in Wolf's case, in the case of Fire and Fury... The current delays are serving pretty much only to drive readers to the Amazon Kindle, as if Amazon needs more power in the ebook market, or to one of those pirated PDFs we heard about this week that are so easily found online, or possibly to give up on the book altogether. 
So I think when the media frenzy dies down over Fire and Fury, I hope any postmortem here is going to include a, a serious look at how the library ebook market worked or did not work in this case. And not only for libraries and their budgets, but also for the publisher, for the author, and I think most importantly for readers. A remarkable week for politics and publishing, Andrew Albanese. Thanks for joining me today from your offices at Publishers Weekly. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, in the human body, fatigue can lead to physical weakness as well as to mental decline. Fatigue makes us angry and fickle. It lowers our capacity for good judgment, and it can leave us vulnerable to making poor or improper decisions. News fatigue may be having similar effects on the body politic, argues Ariana Tobin, an engagement reporter at ProPublica. Tobin predicts that 2018 could see the news audience choose to turn away from the fire hose of news pouring at them. The impact on news organizations would be profound. What's the result of someone not reading this story? What happens if this story gets lost in the mass? What happens if people ignore this particular headline? Because... If they start ignoring the really important news of the day, that's going to shape how someone votes or that's going to change the way that an HR department fields harassment complaints at an office, that has a huge effect. The Harm in News Fatigue, next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries, RightsDirect and Ixis, drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 